is Dean Wilson. Yay! Dean fucking Wilson. And Livingston, you know, got me into this stuff many years ago. I'm happy she did. Ruined my life, but you know. <laughs> but it was a, you know, it's been like, and you know, another thing I keep hearing, you know, oh, he, he all buys his stuff off the dark web. I don't care if they get it from Billy Bob and fucking East Van. The stuff was tested. It came in safe packaging. You knew what you were doing. That's all that fucking matters. I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 41. New Front. Old War. For the last decade, we've seen an almost unbroken increase in toxic drug deaths. Here in British Columbia, around six people die every day. 13,000 lives lost since the crisis was officially declared in 2016. Toxic drugs kill more people between the ages of 10 and 59 than homicides, suicides, accidents, and natural death combined. I can't get my head around those stats. And it's not stopping. It won't stop unless we get access to drugs that won't kill us. Drugs that we know the contents and potency of. We need a safe supply, just like we have a safe supply of alcohol. A few years back, some comrades and I decided to stop waiting. We were sick of going to funerals for our friends and seeing crocodile tears from politicians. We knew no one was coming to save us. So we started Dolph. Investigators from the Vancouver Police Department executed multiple search warrants yesterday as part of an ongoing investigation into the operations of the Drug User Liberation Front, or DOLF, a Vancouver-based organization that is publicly admitted to trafficking controlled substances, including heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine. Two adults were arrested and were subsequently released. Investigators are now working to conclude the investigation and will consider recommending criminal charges related to drug trafficking. The two people arrested were Dolph co-founders Eris Nix and Jeremy Calicum. Dolph got government funding for an overdose prevention site to staff, supply, and do training for it. And the funds also covered drug checking. Dolph also ran a compassion club where a small group of members could purchase, at cost, safe and tested meth, coke, and heroin. The drugs were bought with private donations not government funds. We made an episode about Dolph back in March of 2022. I look like a criminal, but Jeremy looks like he could be, you know, an average. Okay, I'm, I'm, uh, I got really limited eyesight and radio has no eyesight. So you're going to have to describe each other. Okay, Eris, you describe Jeremy. Jeremy looks like a well-to-do kind of nice person. Like Patagonia jacket, blue jeans, like yellow Tims, but just like nicely cut hair, you know, relatively good. You look like a scientist mixed with like a field researcher geologist. <laughs> now you do me. Yeah, now do Eris. All right. Well, you know, Eris looks like, uh, you know, a punk who got punched in the head of like a couple too many times. Right. If it would just be 
we didn't set out to be outlaws. Back in 2021, Dolph applied to the federal government to be able to legally buy and give away pharmaceutical-grade drugs to people at risk of overdose death. The government said no. But this didn't stop us. Since we were legally blocked from purchasing drugs from pharmaceutical companies, we had to find another way to get them. So what we do is we crowdfund money from middle-class, normal, well-to-do citizens. We take their money, we turn it into Bitcoin, we trade the Bitcoin for Monero, which is an untraceable form of cryptocurrency. We use Linux to go on these dark web markets using Onion servers. So it's like relatively private. You know, you engage with these vendors on these dark, dark web markets, and then your drugs just come in the mail. Dolph's Compassion Club ran out of a storefront on the downtown east side, but we also held big drug giveaway events. Vandu helped put on these block parties and parades. We did publicity stunts too, like having a drug giveaway in front of the old cop shop at Maine and Hastings. Over here, free cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamine, all put in, all tested, and we're not going to stop Government doesn't make us stop. All power to the people. The three big events we did over the summer were designed to have a lot of media pull and a lot of attention drawn to them. That's why we're doing the blog parties and stuff. Then it just like became this this thing where we're like, it's 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 not really about protecting us. It's about making a statement and really getting this kind of conversation happening. And it was one of the most strategic things that I think we did. We know that safe supply works. Last month, Dolph released preliminary findings on their Compassion Club study. It revealed that participants experienced a decrease in overdoses, negative police interactions, and drug-related violence. And nobody died. I think the proof is in the pudding. We know we've given out over 120 grams of drugs, nobody's overdosed. To me, it's a problem with the regulation of drugs. And I think what we're illustrating is as long as people know what they're getting and what they're dosing themselves with, they aren't going to die. If the cops press charges against Jeremy and Eris, they could face serious prison time for trafficking. Their first court date is in January. Right now, that's all we know. So how did we get here? How do we get to this place where the cops are arresting people for trying to save lives and where politicians condemn us from the legislature? Honorable Speaker, I feel absolutely outraged and I'll tell you why. This is Eleanor Sturko, South Surrey MLA and mental health and addictions critic for British Columbia's right-wing opposition party, BC United. Sturko is a newly elected MLA, arriving fresh from her career as an RCMP officer and media spokesperson. Two weeks before the Dolph arrests, on October 5th, Sturko began waging an attack on Dolph. Will the Premier order a forensic audit of the government's funding to Van Du, to Dolph, and other organizations that are involved in criminal activity and funded by the government? Yes. Sturko's demands were sent to BC's Attorney General, along with a request that the government investigate groups who've worked with Dolph. So let's make one thing clear, that the Premier subsidized an organization that not only used cryptocurrency to buy illegal drugs off the dark web, they funded an organization that was openly bragging about it.
Hours after Sturco sent this message to the Attorney General, the BC NDP government folded like a cheap tent. They cut all funding to Dolph. Vandu, the Vancouver area network of drug users, has been spared so far. In response to Sturco's calls for a forensic audit, Vandu immediately issued a public statement defending our life-saving work. In it, we invite Sturco and any other MLA to come down and check out what we do, review our financial statements, and meet our board of directors. But as of publication, Sturco has not taken us up on our offer, nor have any of the other MLAs. At a presentation hosted by the National Safer Supply Community of Practice, the Director of Research for the BC Centre on Substance Use candidly confessed his role in the taxpayer-funded drug trafficking at Dolph. And Sturco has also gone after those involved in Dolph's research. Will the Premier undertake a full forensic audit, cancel the public funding for organizations involved in criminal activity, and fire this compromised Director of Research? In response, BCCSU Director of Research Thomas Kerr told Crackdown, quote, the work evaluating Dolph was approved by the UBC Research Ethics Board. There is nothing inherently unethical or illegal about studying illegal activity. On behalf of Crackdown, I want to add that partnerships with researchers are very normal on the downtown east side. Crackdown and Vandu have been working with researchers for years, including Thomas Kerr. We've seen how these partnerships have strengthened the quality of scientific research, improved health outcomes, and saved the lives of people who use drugs. Sturco's attacks on science will have a chilling effect on these kinds of essential community research partnerships. All this is part of a nationwide moral panic against harm reduction one that David Eby has been participating in since he became Premier last year. We've heard concern from people across communities uh, in British Columbia about what they've been seeing in community. It's municipal leaders, that's business owners, it's people waiting for the bus, uh, and, uh, and asking government to address this issue. And we are doing that. In September, Premier Eby started backpedaling on decriminalization he caved to bogus claims that drug users are a threat to public safety and added to the list of places where drug use is banned. The story the government doesn't tell? Decrim is working. In the first six months since Decrim started, possession offenses have decreased by 76%. That means thousands of us avoided being arrested just because we use drugs. It's a huge win. And yet, the BC NDP government wants to pass a law to water decrim down even further. Drug use will be prohibited at parks, beaches, and sports fields. This approach doesn't mean that you have to give up your park. Doesn't mean that you have to uh, avoid the bus stop. Doesn't mean that you have to give up your uh, business in a downtown core. It seems that BC is also reversing its tiny prescribed safer supply program. Doctors have started cutting people off their Dilaudid prescriptions, and the whole program is now under review. I'm frankly worried that the Premier wants to shut down this kind of prescribing for good. So, right now, we're losing. And our opponents are crowing about it. 
we think that it's important to make sure that we're doing research and things that are done ethically and legally. The day after the Dolph arrests, Eleanor Sturko was interviewed on CBC's afternoon show on the coast. But you know what? Having 50 people receive um, drugs that are being trafficked over to you, Vic and UBC, then trafficked back to Dolph and then trafficked to members of the public, you know, it does not take into account the harm, as I said, being done as a result of pumping money into the dark web, where a place where child pornography is rampant, the illegal gun and, and weapons trade. And, you know, these could be funneling money into uh, terrorism groups. I mean, this is ridiculous to think that somehow our willingness and our want of, of solving the opioid crisis justifies putting money into the dark web and into the hands of criminals. It doesn't. If Eleanor Sturko and BC United want to get money out of the hands of criminals, they ought to support a universal safe supply program. If doctors could prescribe us legal pharmaceutical alternatives to street drugs, the black market would starve. But BC United doesn't really care about this. Because this isn't about money going to criminals. This is about using fear to stampede votes. It's about making sure those voters don't look at a project like Dolph and ask themselves, why the hell isn't the government doing that? I was interviewed separately from Sturko on that same radio show. You gotta disobey unjust laws, or history doesn't move, right? There would be no votes for women. We used to have a Chinese Exclusion Act in Canada. Canada has had hundreds of unjust laws, and how you move along and progress in society is it takes people who are willing to risk arrest and to disobey those unjust laws. Well, Gartha, although there are a lot of uh, well-intentioned people associated with Dolph, but should the rollout as something as important of safe supply, should it be left to a community group with little or no official oversight? It, it would be great if we could do it a different way. It would be great if the government had given us the ability to legally do this and to obtain our drugs from a pharmaceutical company. But they haven't. The safe supply just hasn't been moving along in the province. The province was willing to prescribe Dilaudid to about 4% of the uh, drug users who were out there. And uh, they just weren't expanding the program. They, it, the drugs weren't getting to the people who needed them. So we had to do something. We have to break the unjust laws that hold up the drug war or else we die. So I, I don't see that we have any choice. And I hear these people in Victoria, uh, you know, MLAs, city councillors, some of them on your show. And I just think what incredible cowards these people are, that they care about the rules more than our lives. One week after Jeremy and Eris were arrested, the BC Coroner's Service Toxic Death Review Panel released its report. The panel, led by Chief Coroner Lisa Lapointe, was made up of clinicians, researchers, academics, law enforcement, and people with lived experience. Lapointe stressed that the panel was impartial, objective, and not swayed by ideology. They found that many of the 13,000 people killed by toxic drugs since 2016 died largely preventable deaths. The panel called on the province to immediately pursue expanded access to safer supply, including through non-medicalized models. Safer supply is not a radical initiative. 
It's a means to keep people alive and to support them to wellness. It's a means to reduce our loved ones' dependency on a toxic, profit-driven, illicit drug market. It is life support. LaPointe was asked about Dolph, and she said, I suppose I would say that if you see somebody in a burning house, you feel somehow justified to smash the window. So drug users, community groups, academics, and the chief coroner are all calling for safe supply. Meanwhile, politicians, politicians on the center, like the NDP, and on the right, like BC United, they all stand together in their rejection of that. Any model that looks at um, uh, withdrawing uh, uh, medical oversight from that process is, uh, is not a direction that we're moving in. We need to continue to address it as a medical issue and recognize the importance of continuing to include uh, medical practitioners, particularly those with significant expertise in addictions. On November 3rd, on the downtown east side, hundreds of us gathered in solidarity with Dolph. We chanted, free Jeremy, free Eris, free Dolph. We demanded that no charges be laid. We demanded what Dolph always wanted, a real safe supply. Dolph saves life! 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 Give it up for yourself, folks! Movement leaders and organizers addressed the crowd. Gene Swanson, Dean Wilson, Susan Boyd, Leslie McBain, DJ Larkin, and Van Dues Martin Stewart, Randy Crossan, John Braithwaite, Dave Hamm, Vince Tao, and me. First off, we'd like to begin with the man himself, the OG. Guys, give it up for Garth Mullins. Garth Mullins! We have made only minor edits to my speech. Hey everybody, I was, uh, I was just going up to the top there, and fuck, there's so many of us. Yes. Yeah. Look around you. Three years ago, just, just as the pandemic was getting rolling, and our death rates were skyrocketing again, and a bunch of people got on a Zoom together, you know, Eris, Jeremy, Anne Livingston, uh, several people who are here today, and we founded the Drug User Liberation Movement. And Anne suggested that we call it Liberation Front because it speaks to the militancy and direct action of the 70s. We decided to call it that because you have to break unjust laws. You cannot conform to... And we knew that that's what needed to happen because since 2016, we've been pushing the government for safe supply. Just as easy as going to the drug dealer, we should be able to get the clean stuff. That was the mission of the Drug User Liberation Front. And let me tell you, I remember the first day that we did a giveaway. And, and we were giving them away out of a little tent. And you could get the drug of your choice, with a little printout from the mass spectrometer saying exactly what's in the drug. It was that fucking simple. And people lined up for it, and they weren't rude. People weren't shoving and pushing and being dicks. It was much more polite than when there's a new phone at the Apple store. 
And I remember they were playing The Clash out of the boombox. It was a beautiful day. It finally felt like a little bit of hope. So Dolph went to Health Canada, went to the government of Canada and said, we don't want to be outlaws, we want to do this legally. We want to be able to have agreements with pharmaceutical companies. We want to have a way to get the people what they need. And the government of Canada said, no. So we were forced to do it illegally. Forced to do it the same way we did the safe injection site before it was legal. Same way we did needle exchange before it was legal. You have to disobey unjust laws to move history. And what happened to the people? The heroes, the courageous people, Eris Nix and Jeremy Kellogg, what happened to them who stood up for all of us? They got fucking arrested. And it's not just them, it's not just Dolph, it's all of us. Because everything we fought for since the 90s is at stake now. This is where I learned about harm reduction. When I was a teenager, a guy handed me a brand new syringe, and that was illegal. Him and his colleagues had been smuggling syringes out to the streets to give them to people. He had them in backpacks, and they sometimes moved them in a baby carriage so that the police wouldn't catch on. And they risked, he and his colleagues risked arrest so that they could give me a clean needle so that I wouldn't have to share and bleach with my friends or sharpen it on a match striker. And I thought, fuck me, that's awesome. That's what I want to do. And that's what we've all done since. But all of those things, safe injection sites, needle exchanges, all those programs are now in peril because people like Pierre Polyev, who is the leader of the Conservative Party, he is gaslighting the whole nation, saying that harm reduction is dangerous, harm reduction is causing the problems. I'll tell you what, he is causing the fucking problems. And in British Columbia, the shadow minister of addictions, Eleanor Sturko, has targeted all of us and is coming for us. And the NDP government is caving in and collapsing. Led by David Eby, the premier. And David, David Eby ought to fucking know better because he worked for Pivot. In, 2000, in, the, in the 2000s, he worked for Pivot and he ought to know. But what's most important to a government is not our lives. The most, <clears throat> the most important thing for them is staying in power. So I gotta say, you can jail the revolutionary, but you cannot jail the revolution. And this is just the beginning, because today we stand up for Jeremy and Eris and Dolph, but we're also standing up for Van Du, because Eleanor Sturko and the politicians, they have targeted Van Du. And they're gonna target your organizations too, and they're gonna keep going until there's nothing left but shitty for-profit abstinence-only recovery houses. So that's why today we are building a movement to fight the right and to say the drug war has got to end. The drug war is a plank of white supremacy and if our practice doesn't want to smash white supremacy and colonialism, it's not worth shit. Vandu community organizer Vince Tao closed out the rally. We made only very minor edits to this speech. I'd like to make a statement myself, folks. 
but please bear with me. Ricky Araki, Laura Monroe, Miles Harps, Elroy Dejolet, Ida Pranto, Pablo Pincott, Joe Raithby, Sue Anderson, Inca Trotz, Chrissy Brett, Dino Boomer Bundy, Brendan Edwards, Wally Maristy, Lenora Louise Blue, Earl Grey Eyes, Dave Butler, Miles Brett, Hugh Cameron. 18 names, 18 lives extinguished in just one calendar year. 18 Bandu members, my friends, people I love. Ricky, who was never late for his shifts, distributing brooms and supplies to the Hastings Tent City. Flora, who took me into the Bandu family and taught me how to speak. Miles, who called me the little man with a big voice, who was so proud to show me a photo, a family photo album that he kept safe even after years of living on the street. Elroy, whose laugh was legendary, booming down to Hastings Street. Pablo, who survived the winter's hotel fire, who dazzled all of us with his magnificent leathers. Joe, Bandu Vice President, who in his last days still wanted to go to battle with the BHS for never repairing the elevator in his building. Sue, a little lady who fought cancer off not once, not twice, but three times. Inga, a rebel born in St. Petersburg who would become a scourge, a scourge to slumlords and park rangers. Boomer, who I waited in line for the Carnegie Outreach for hours listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Brendan and Wally, two proud gay indigenous men who lit up our office with their smiles. Blue, a street leader and mortal enemy to the city street sweepers. Earl, who shook your hand every time you saw him. Dave, he was a real grouch, but he softened up quite a bit in the three years I knew him. And Miles Brett, young Miles, who even days before his death applied to the Bandu board to give back to this organization that he loved so much. And Hugh, Hugh Cameron, we just learned of his death today. I spoke to his sister this morning. Hugh was a proud drug user, a brilliant and curious mind. He was 31 years old, just one year younger than me. I know he would have been marching with us here today. These 18 lives were not claimed by the drug war as if it were some kind of natural force or even crueler. Just something that happens in this neighborhood. No, these 18 friends were killed. They were murdered. They were murdered by a barbaric system shaped by human hands, manned by human will. Collecting their names, I struggled. I struggled for language to express the grief and the anger and the loss of the devastation. Gro groping, I, I found the words. I found the words. I found solace and understanding in the words of George Jackson, a young black revolutionary jailed from youth 
and assassinated by a racist government. He said, perfect love and perfect hate. That's what's inside me. Love is not an easy thing to come by. It is shaped, it is worked on, it is made perfect in the forge of struggle, in the heat of collective survival. The downtown east side is a place where love is tested, and that is what makes our love so powerful, because it is earned and perfect hate. Friends, we should not be afraid to express our hatred for our oppressors, for those who profit from our suffering, who wring hope from our hearts, who look on with indifference at the misery and the massacre of our loved ones. If our enemies have our hands shackled behind our backs, we only have two tools to free ourselves, perfect love and perfect hate. We must sharpen those tools. Dolph, its Compassion Club, was love made into action. Two individuals faced with the promise of certain death of all those that they cared for risked their freedom to answer a riddle that has supposedly plagued modern science and society. But the answer is obvious. Drug users throughout time have known the answer. Give people the drugs they need! This simple formula gave us a way out. Every day we are reminded that the drug war has a history a history of colonial genocide, a history of racist domination, a history of labor exploitation, a history of gender violence. A history felt like an unending nightmare in the perpetual present. But Delft's Compassion Club, we can finally see the end of this wretched story and have the freedom to dream of a future. But on but on October 25th, the hatred of our enemies prevailed. The VPD arrested and raided the homes of Eris Nix and Jeremy Calicum, who now potentially, who now potentially face charges in the highest courts of this stolen land. Like the cowards would have long known them to be, the government claimed ignorance, despite the fact that Dolph has been doing social action to save lives for three years in the open public. So here's a tip for the VPD's so-called investigation. Read a goddamn newspaper and flip through the
tree is a thin cover for his real interest. Let me remind you folks, when he was Minister of Health, he cut $36 million from the budget and deregulated the treatment and recovery industry. Who would become his top donors in return for their gift? $360 million that Kevin Falk can cut from the health budget. But they had no shame! Remember, today, today the hatred of drug users and the poor is a bipartisan agenda. Take NDP Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, Jennifer Whiteside. Jennifer Whiteside, who ordered no the defunding of dope within six hours of Kevin Falcon and his gang staging a televised tantrum. Rather than defend her party's stated support for safe supply, Whiteside was happy, happy to capitulate to the opposition and sell dope down the river. It would be, it would be naive to call for her resignation. Why? Why? Because it would falsely assume that that her post and the entire Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions was at all in the benefit of the public. We should abolish that ministry altogether. But despite, despite the various embarrassments that Whiteside has presided over in her short tenure, we all know whose marching orders she follows and obeys. David Eby. And despite his saintly pretensions and his well-trodden origin story of being a Catholic missionary preaching the good word of social justice in the downtown east side, he has presided over the most draconian escalation of police power and punishment that this province has seen in 10 years. Horgan stepped down, is desperately trying to revamp and beef up his image as a pencil neck bureaucrat by stoking and preying upon the fear of the society's outcast and abandoned poor. Dolph's arrest is only the culmination of a year-long project to dismantle and delegitimize harm reduction in favor of martial law. Since taking the reins, E.B. has completely reversed track on his party's small steps towards decriminalization by proposing legislation to ban public use of drugs. A dystopian future that we gave, he gave us a preview of in the paramilitary police action to decap Hastings this April. Banning tent cities, threatening and playing footsie with mandatory treatment, regressive moves towards so-called bail reform. EB has made record time in the race to shamelessly betray and slander a community he so proudly parades on his CV. That's right. David fucking Evie, get the get the name of our neighborhood out of your mouth. That's right. But friends, what we face in this crashly political phase of the drug war is bigger and better organized than these two pitiful political parties. It is a nationwide campaign fueled by revenge against the gains of 
of our movement. The media class, the trained dogs of Canada's esteemed media monopolies has waged a deadly war of words on prescribed safer supply. They have no shame! So today's demonstration has no easy targets. It has no particular effigy to burn in this public square. We must indict this entire system! Yes! Which on October 25th confirmed to us just how every piece of diabolical machinery is moving against the survival of our friends and loved ones. We can now have no doubt that our elected officials and the enlightened class of bureaucrats and officials that serve them have abandoned any remaining pretense of rational or compassionate rule over the masses. The downtown east side has known this public secret and it's time we listen. The government is trying to kill us! God, drug users gave this government, gave this society the gift of harm reduction. It was a gift born of the expert knowledge of survival against certain death. Countless lives were lost in the pursuit of this miraculous science. And what did they do with it? They wrung it out for every drop of prestige and profit, and now they will toss it like a rag into the dustbin of history. Will we let them do that? No! Friends, it is our duty and responsibility to restore harm reduction as a movement principle, a movement priority, a movement practice. What Godot gave us was a blueprint. The Compassion Club is not some crude intellectual property. It is a weapon to be wielded by the people in service of human life. It is our responsibility, all of us, all of you, to honor Dope and the countless drug user rebels before them by taking action. Because the government will not give us safe supply, then we must take it by any means necessary! As Bud Osborne, brand new founder and poet warrior of the downtown east side once said, he reminds us, there is no one to care if you do not care. Dolph as we know it, it may be too soon to say, but Dolph as we know it is dead. Blessed was its flame with one, ju just one spark ignited a prairie fire. Woo! And from its ashes may a thousand dumps blossom yep. across Turtle Island and around the world. lines of a poem by Frank O'Hara, Ode to Joy. We shall have everything we want, and there'll be no more dying. Say it with me. We shall have everything we want, and no more dying. One more time. We shall have everything we want, and no more dying. One more time. No more dying. No more dying.
Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Laura Shaver, Raya Jean, and rest in peace, Dave Murray, Greg Frez, and Sharice Kiwatton. This episode was conceptualized, written, and produced by Sam Fenn, Alex DeBoer, Lisa Hale, and me, Garth Mullins. The score was by James Ash. If you like what we do, support us at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. I just wanted to say, please join me in thinking about Jeff Loudon. Jeff has been my best friend, really my brother, for over 30 years. In the last several weeks, he's been in hospital, including a time where he was totally unconscious with tubes and... I mean, they didn't know whether he was going to come back. So I got to tell you, that scared the hell out of me and really saddened me. And I sat by his bed every day. And then one day, I came in and he opened his eyes and looked right at me. And he gripped my hand really tight. And I knew from that grip what he was saying. He was saying, I love you and I'm not going anywhere. Also... Maybe you'll join me right now in thinking of all the people of Gaza, and we can all work to make a ceasefire happen. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and keep six.